Let me ask you this this morning. Does anybody here have a junk drawer at your house? Any of you guys have like one drawer? Okay, most people do. It's like a drawer with the doodads and the miscellaneous who's he, what's it's and all the stuff that you don't know what to do with and it ends up in this one drawer and you know, that's, that's, that's where you put it if you don't know where else to put it. Um, let me ask you this. How many of you have a junk area in your house that's a little bit bigger than the junk drawer, junk area. So the junk area is when there's more stuff that you don't quite know what to do with. Um, if, if, you are, uh, if you live alone, then your particular junk area or lack thereof um, does not present a problem to anybody because you are accustomed to your level of uh, clutteredness or stuff. Like you're, you're, you're good with the amount of stuff that you have. Like if you're a person that likes a lot of stuff, trinkets and stuff, right? And you live alone, no problem because it's just you, right? Now, if you live with somebody, what you find is that two people generally don't have the same level of tolerance and interest. Why is everybody, people are already like, preach this one, pastor. All you married folks are like, um, <laughs> like one person has a more generous and expansive view of how much stuff should be in the house. <laughs> Another person feels like there's too much stuff in the house and they want less stuff, right? I feel like we're about to have a church split right here, right and down the middle. Um, <laughs> so I am, I personally, this is, this is not, I'm not recommending this. I'm just giving you my, what, what I am. I'm kind of a minimalist. Like I don't like a lot of stuff. Too much stuff gets, makes me nervous. I don't like that much stuff. I like just... <laughs> And I got some, I'm getting more amens on minimalism. Wow. <laughs> so um, I'll I give, I give you an example. And, and some of you know this because um, uh, the, the woman that runs our social media, works on our social media, she always tells me like, you need more clothes, Pastor, because you wear the same outfit. Like basically, <laughs> like every Sunday when I post a picture, it looks like the Sunday before, right? But I am a minimalist. I just don't like that much stuff. So I'm going to just give you an example. This, this, is, a, this is a true picture of my, of my closet um, at, at home. So that's, you know, that's pretty good. A lot of things in the blue. I'm not going for the pink very often. I'm not reaching for that one. But um, yeah, okay, you can take that down. So anyway, that's, that's my, um, that's, that's me because I'm a minimalist. You guys want to see a picture of my wife's closet? I want to sleep in my own bed tonight, so you're going to have to just, you're not going to get to see that tonight. Um, <laughs> but we just have different, you know, different, different tolerances and views and things of things. Um, so there is one area of our house that we agree is too cluttered. There's one area, and it's always been this way from the time we got together and, and, and we, like, we actually work on decluttering this area, but I don't know what happens. Something happens, and then, it, and then it, like, it's, there's a magnetic attraction that happens in this area. Um, and this is, this is our, our basement, okay? Um, go ahead and just real quick, just real quick, just show them uh, what that looks like. This is our basement this morning. I love how the unicorn is like, oh my God. I'm like panicking, or it's just too much stuff. Um, that is a true life picture of our basement in its current state right now. Okay, you can take that off. So um, there we go. Thank you. Um, 
the thing is, like with the basement, it's funny because we, Rebecca and I, when we, when we, you know, when we got married, I brought stuff from my life and she brought stuff from her life and then they all ended up together. And it just takes time to get through that stuff. Like we're, we're coming on to 15 years, so we're getting there, but it takes time to get rid of some stuff. I found something in our basement a while back that really puzzled me. I found a gallon jug of syrup plastic gallon jug of syrup. And I was like, what is this? And then I remembered what it was. It was the syrup, the extra syrup that we had used at our first Christmas pancake dinner of one family church. Y'all remember that? 10 years ago. It was, and it was there in the basement. I thought we probably can let this one go. This is syrup from 10 years ago. And I don't, I just don't think we're going to need it. Um, the youth one time held a, a yard sale and the yard sale was populated almost exclusively by stuff from our basement. This is years ago. They made almost like a million dollars at that yard sale, um, just selling things at 50 cents a piece. It was incredible. No, um, but, but that's, that's an area of our life. That's, we just got too much stuff. Now I say all that to say this, it is okay for you to have a portion of your home that is too cluttered right? Different people have different tolerances. God made us all different. It's okay for your basement to be a little bit cluttered or your garage or your office or your minivan or some part of your life. It's okay for that to be cluttered, but it's not okay for your life to be cluttered. It's not okay for your time to be so tight that you can't, you've got no room. If one thing falls apart, the whole thing falls apart because you, you, it's just, there's just too much. It's not okay for your finances to be so tight that one issue, one accident, one thing comes up and now you're wiped out financially because you got too much stuff going. It's not okay for your emotional life, your, the emotional bandwidth that you and I have, it's not okay for that to be so cluttered that one thing arises and absolutely sends you off the rails. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, it's okay if there's some stuff that's too cluttered. Your closet, okay, fine. But your life can't be that way because when your life is that way, it leads to a life of distress and difficulty and hardship and unnecessary pain in your life. When your life is too full, here, here's what happens. No, number one is that it adds an inordinate amount of stress in your life. Your stress levels increase if your life is too packed, if your finances are too tight, or your time is too tight, or your bandwidth is too, your emotional life is too, it just creates an immense amount of stress. The other thing that it creates is a strain in relationships. Some of y'all already are agreeing. You, you were agreeing. Now, now, now that it's getting serious, you're, you know, you're not nodding as hard, but I know you're still with me, right? Because, because relationships get strained when our lives are just, there's too much going on in our lives. Our joy decreases when our lives are too packed, when there's just too, it's, it sucks the life out of your life when your life is too packed. I saw when we were at, this summer, we were at uh, Disneyland and I saw this couple and, you know, they got the Mickey Mouse hats on. They got the toys. They got the, every, the kids are all around. They're at the happiest place on the earth. And man, they were, they were going at it, right? 
they were trying to keep it like kind of low key because it was public, but you could feel the, you know, that feeling where it's like, okay, yeah, well, it's all strained, you know, like, right, right? You know what I mean? And yeah, um, that, that, that's because there was, there was too much. They, they're either their bandwidth was stretched or their money, probably their money was stretched if they were at Disneyland, or their, or their time, something was, was too much. And the last one is this, your compassion dissipates when your life is too packed. They actually did a study at Princeton Theological Seminary years ago. This is a fascinating study. They had these young theologians uh, prepare a sermon on the Good Samaritan. On the Good Samaritan. You guys know that story, the Good Samaritan. Uh, a Samaritan is, is beaten up and, and robbed at the side of the road, and, a, and a, um, uh, a guy comes, or sorry, not the Samaritan, a guy is beaten up and robbed, and a priest comes by, and, and a Levite comes by, and then a Samaritan comes by, and he helps the, the guy. It's a great story. If you don't know it, you should read it. It's an incredible story. So they had them prepare a, a, a sermon on that topic, and then they said, hey, oh my gosh, you've got to go deliver this sermon at the chapel, and you only have five minutes to get across campus. And so they sent them in a hurry across campus to go preach. This is a study that they did to go preach uh, the sermon. And they gave different theologians a different amount of time to get across the campus. And what they found is that the people who were running late, the people who they said, you don't have much time to get there, they literally have their sermon of the Good Samaritan. And, and what they didn't, what those theologians didn't know is that they had uh, an actor who was acting like somebody who was, had been beat and hurt on the side of an alley. And they had to go through this alley in order to go preach a sermon. And so these theologians have their sermon and they're trying to get to the chapel to preach the Good Samaritan. And they all literally were like, they saw the guy and they just kept running, right? They're getting ready to preach about not doing that. But they, in fact, in one of them, you can read the study, and one of the theologians literally jumped over the guy, like, like hurdled the guy, you know, not because this guy had no compassion, it's because he was so, he had so little bandwidth, he had so little time, he got so focused on what he had to do that his compassion just was utterly dissipated as a result of, uh, of, of being too, too much, of too much, no space, no breathing room. This is not what God wants for us. This is not what God wants for you. God does not want you to, feel, uh, to live a life where your compassion is diminished, your joy is diminished, your relationship is strained, and your stress levels are through the roof. That's not what he wants for us. And what I want to do for the next few minutes today is I want to preach on a subject that I, I feel is, is important for each one of us to really get, and I'm calling it the miracle of margin. The miracle of of margin. And this is a very profound spiritual theological principle that does not get discussed a lot. And I'm going to get, I'm going to drill down on it uh, today with you. Um, I, I had something happen this week, which was, uh, which kind of reminded me of, of this. I, I had a, one of my days was packed. The schedule was, my, my schedule was packed. And um, back to back meetings, bang, 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 bang. No margin in the day. And somebody texted me and said, oh, hey, I'm sorry. I have to move our meeting. Can we reschedule? And I said, yes. And so that meeting went off my calendar. And suddenly, I had margin. Suddenly, I had an hour in the day to do some of the things that were important that I needed to do, that I wanted to do, that I would not have been able to do, except that this, per this person inadvertently gave me margin. They gave me space. Let me give you a definition of margin. Margin is the space 
between your current circumstances and your total capacity. Where you are, right? Where you currently are and your total capacity. Um, we, we do it in a few different ways. I'm going to give you three this morning uh, that I think might resonate with you. The first one is in time. What, what does time margin look, look like? So if you have 30 minutes to get somewhere and you've allotted 29 minutes to get there, that means you have one minute of margin, right? One red light that goes bust. One traffic jam. One, oops, I forgot to grab my whatever and have to run back into the house, right? You have one minute of margin. Now, that just, some of you already feel stressed out just seeing that, just feeling it. My heart is beating hard right now, just, just thinking about that, right? I've had this happen many times, and, and sometimes I'm better at it, and sometimes I'm not. I've, 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 I did a, I drove when Pastor Tyler and, uh, um, when, when Pastor Tyler got, got uh, married, um, and Hallie, I had to drive to Des Moines to, to officiate their wedding. And I, I, I timed it wrong. And their wedding is getting ready to start. And I had like t- mistimed it by like an hour. So um, this preacher drove fast to Des Moines, Iowa. And I actually got there in time, but there wasn't a lot of margin, right? So, okay, so some of us know what that's like, time. It also happens with our money. Let's say that our, um, put that next slide up there. Arthur, uh, there, oh, there it is. So, okay, let's say that your income is $1,000, but your expenses are $999, right? You got a dollar of margin. You're it just one thing goes wrong, right? The car breaks down, wind knocks a branch into the house, something happens, right? You've got no margin. The last one is, is what I would call just sort of emotional bandwidth. It's just like you, you, you have a thousand, I'm going to call them hearts, just because there's no unit of emotional bandwidth that I know of. A, a, a thousand hearts. You got, a lot, you got that much space uh, in, in your life for relationships, but you've used up 999 of them. So one argument puts you over the edge. One little fight tilts you over the edge because you, you lack margin. The question that I would pose to us today is, why do we do this? Why do we fill our life so much that we stress ourselves out, strain our relationships, dissipate our, our, our compassion, and decrease our joy? Why do we do that? I would propose to you that the primary driver is a single word, and that is fear. Fear. Fear of missing out. Fear of irrelevance. Fear that you're not going to accomplish what you think you need to accomplish in order to matter, in order for your life to be meaningful. Fear is what drives us to clutter our lives with so much stuff. And the cruel irony of this is that the desire to matter, right, that leads us to this this lack of margin is the one thing that undermines what matters most in our lives. It undermines our relationships. It undermines our joy. It undermines our compassion, our spirituality. It undermines all of that. And and this is not a new phenomenon. This had been happening, has been happening for thousands of years. Several thousand years ago, the Israelite children were in bondage in Egypt. To be in bondage, to be enslaved in Egypt, means that you had zero margin. It means that you never had an opportunity to rest. It means that you had no money. 
It means that your relationships are inherently strained because you have zero bandwidth to just be with each other. And when you read in Exodus about the, the time of slavery of the Egyptians, you read about the, the pharaohs piling on the work and making the work even harder taking away the straw so that they have to make bricks out of mud and making this whole thing harder and harder and harder. So what you had was a group of people who did not know how to handle time because it had always been handled for them. Did not know how to handle money because it, they didn't have any. If, if, if they came across a, a single like morsel of food, they either had to eat it immediately or, or hoard it because they just never knew. Like it might be gone the next moment. And so God, when he liberated the Israelites from captivity, he created a law. And in this law, this very long set of laws, he created what, what, I'm, what I'm calling today the miracle of margin. Because what he wanted us to learn, his people to learn, and us to learn, is that God wants us to experience a flourishing life where we have joy, where we have compassion, where our relationships are not strained, and where we can live a life according to the calling and purposes that he has for us. And so what I want to do is I want to give you three of these laws that he gave the Israelites for them and for us. Laws of margin. The first one you're going to be familiar with, it's called Sabbath. You all know the, the, the idea of, of the Sabbath. Um, several years ago, we, my wife and I and kids went to visit some friends to, to have dinner at their house. And our friends live in city and they, they're Orthodox Jews. And they invited us to their home. Um, and Orthodox Jews are very serious about observing the Sabbath. And they, they observe it with like sort of legal specificity, right? At sundown on Friday, you, you stop all work and then, uh, and, and then it doesn't, it doesn't end, um, until sundown on Saturday. And so they invited us over for dinner and we go to their house for dinner and we're hanging around um, wait, waiting for dinner to be served and, and talking and, and dinner was like not being served. Like dinner was just like not happening. Um, and it kept getting later and later and later. And, uh, you know, we know all their kids. We're good, we're good friends. And I was kind of getting hungry. I was like, wait, I thought we were having dinner and there's no dinner. So what's the deal? But I didn't want to ask the parents. So I pulled one of the kids aside. I go, hey, man. I think it was Ariel. I was like, hey, dude, what's, what's the story with the uh, dinner that was going to happen tonight? And um, he, says, uh, he says, well, our, break, our breaker went off. And um, the, the stove was, was, was heating up the dinner, but our breaker went off, and now the stove is not on. And because it's Sabbath, we're not allowed to turn the breaker back on. Because, like I said, they, that, that would be work in, in, the, in the Orthodox community. And so I go... Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> I go, um, so where's the, uh, where's the breaker box? And, um, and Ariel says, oh, yeah, no, we're, um, we're not allowed to turn it on. You know, we're not allowed to turn the breaker on. I go, no, 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 I know. I know you're not. I know you're not. Um, but I am. He said, well, no, we're not allowed to ask Gentiles or non-Jews to do the work that we're not supposed to be doing. And I go, um, you're not asking me, dude. Uh, I'm asking you, where's the breaker box? <laughs> it's a true story. So with that out of the way, the boys were like, 
we'll show you. And we all go downstairs. There's the breaker box. Bang, I turn it all back on. An hour later, we had a delicious kosher dinner with our friends uh, that are Orthodox Jews. Because, but, but, but this idea of the Sabbath is extremely important, right? Because it, 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 what it said to the Israelites is God was saying to them, these are people that work 24-7 for 400 years. The Sabbath was God saying, you know what? Trust me. Trust me. But what if we don't get everything done? Trust me. But what if we don't accomplish everything that we need to accomplish? Trust me. What if we, what if we don't work hard enough and then we struggle or we fail? Trust me. This is what God is saying. God is saying the, the principle of the Sabbath. Now, we don't observe it as a strict rule or anything like that. But, but it is a principle. It is something that we ought to think very deeply about and to actually try to practice to some degree or another. The Bible tells us that Christ is our Sabbath, right? Christ is our Sabbath. So we don't have any specific regulations or rules about when to work and when not to work. That's not what Christians do. However, there's something very powerful and, and meaningful about that principle. Why? Because it creates margin. It creates margin in your life. You're working, you're working, you're working, and then suddenly, bang, you're not working. Computer's off, phone is off, there's the, you're not taking texts, you're not taking calls. You, you know, I, I told our staff, we've been talking about this. Last week I talked about rest, we've been talking about Sabbath. I, last, <laughs> two weeks ago I told the staff, I said, I'm thinking about turning my phone off after church on Saturday, or Sunday, and then not turning it back on until like, midday Monday, because Monday's my day off. And, and I said, how, like, what do you guys think about that? And the staff was like, you should do that. Yes. Like Carol's actually back there raising her hands right now going, please do that. Um, <laughs> because, because all of us need this, this margin in our life, right? We need margin with our time. The second one that God gave is a law. Oh, let, let me, let me read, let me read you the scripture on that. Exodus 20, 10. It says, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither shall your son or your daughter or your male or your female servant nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your town. Your dog is not even allowed to do work on the Sabbath. God is saying, I, I actually believe in this principle so much that I want you to take some time and decompress and have some margin, okay? The second law that he preached on or taught on this is the law of the tithe, the law of the tithe. Now, some of you know what that is, and some of you don't know what that is, and some of you are like, uh-oh, what we can talk about here? But this is a very powerful truth that God taught the Israelites, and basically the truth, the, the law at that time, and again, we're not governed by that law, okay? But I'm just teaching you what the law is so you can glean the principle from it. The law at that time was a tithe means tenth. Ten percent of your whatever grain, sheep, cattle, whatever your thing is, set that aside and then you give that to the work of, of the temple, that you give that to feed the poor, to, to do ministry, to, to spread the word, to do all of the things that the ministry does. He said, I want you to set that aside. And it makes sense if, you've been, if you're teaching people who have an extremely unhealthy relationship with money because they've never had it. When you've never had it, then you don't know how to treat it. And what you're going to do is, if you're, your heart, if you're a human being, your, your inclination is to move towards greed, not to generosity. That's just your inclination. That's all of our... And so what you do with it is you're either going to spend it immediately or you're going to hoard it. Either way, you're never going to have enough of it. 
right? You're going to go, I'm spending it and now I'm out of money or I'm hoarding it and I'm, I still don't have enough. And what God is saying in that moment is, here's what I want you to do. Set a portion aside. Give yourself some margin. Give yourself some margin so that you can have a healthy relationship with money. And again, just like time, he says, trust me. Trust me. Let, let me read you the scripture from Leviticus. He says, uh, I'm sorry, from Malachi 3.10. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then he says, he never says, doesn't say this anywhere else in the Bible. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. This passage has been used wrongly. And so I just want you to take a deep breath. That's not, this is not uh, the prosperity gospel doctrine. God is saying, however, that when we trust him, when we create margin, when we create space in our time and in our finances, it will be a blessing to us. We will be, our hearts, our lives will be blessed. Tamara said that on the, on the uh, video. Our lives will be blessed when we create margin. One of the things that I love about One Family Church, and this is the way it has been from the beginning, and many of you know this, but this is actually in our bylaws. This is the way we do things. From day one, the, the financial um, generosity and, and, and tithes and offerings that are given to One Family Church, from day one, we tithed as a church meaning 10% of what is given is, is given out to other ministries. That's where you can go meet our missions partners. That is, that is a principle that we established at the very beginning of One Family Church 10 years ago, and it has been the, the best and smartest thing that we've done as a church because it gives us breathing room. It says, hey, we're, we're not about us. We're about the world around us. We're about serving the people around us. We're about supporting other churches and other ministries and other mission organizations around the world to do what God has called them to do. It creates margin for us. I shared this story a few weeks ago, but when Rebecca and I took this principle for ourselves, it transformed our lives. We were crushed with debt. You know, this is, this is uh, probably 12 years ago. Crushed with debt and, and, and trying to figure out what to do. And we just made a commitment. God, we're gonna create margin. We're gonna give you. And we've chosen to tithe, but everybody gets to choose their own thing. And if you're not a believer, I said this a couple weeks ago, if you're not a believer, don't give your money to the church. But give your money somewhere. Give your money to something that is bigger than you. Create margin in your life. Develop a real, a good, healthy relationship with finances instead of trying to pull it all in and hoard it for yourself. That will make your life small. Generosity attaches you to a big story. It will make your life big. Um, and then the last one is fascinating. This is the least well-known one. But it's called the law of gleaning. The law of gleaning. And the only way that I can... Um, describe this is to actually read the scripture to you that describes the law of gleaning. It's in Leviticus 19. It says this, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field. In other words, don't, don't try to get all the wheat that, that's at the very, very edge of your field. And don't gather the gleanings of your harvest, the stuff that's on the edge. Don't, don't gather that. Or if some of it didn't get pulled in the first time and there's stuff laying, don't send the guys back out in the field to get all that's left. Also, do not go over your vineyard a second time to pick uh, up the grapes that have fallen. So when you go into the vineyard and you're picking your grapes and some of them fall on the ground, don't send your team back into the, into the vineyard to get all the grapes off the ground. Don't do that. Um, 
leave them, the scripture says, for the poor and the foreigner. Like, don't take everything off the table. Leave some stuff behind. This is relational, right? You don't have to squeeze everything you, you can out of, out of life. You can leave something behind for somebody else. You can leave some openness in your life for other people to enjoy. You can be generous with other people. And then God says something fascinating in this scripture. And it ends this passage. This is how he ends it. He says, I am the Lord, your God. What he's saying there is, trust me. Trust me. Stop trying to pack your life so tight financially, in terms of time, in terms of generosity, in all of these areas, and relationally. Don't do that. Because when you're doing that, you're not trusting me. You're thinking that you have to do this in order to experience the, 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 the life that you want to experience. And you know where you learned that? You learned that in Egypt. You, you learned that in Egypt. Egypt was driving you to the ground. Egypt, and, and you're picking up that. Egypt was so greedy that they, that they enslaved you, right? They didn't pay you. They enslaved you to do their work because they, there wasn't enough. They still, it still wasn't enough. The, 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 the mighty uh, empire was not enough. And they kept having to get more and more. And, and what I want you to do is not be Egypt. I want you to be my people. And my people are a blessing. They're not seeking to extract blessing from everybody else. They're blessing the people around them. They're blessing the world around them. You will be a blessing to the nations, God said. You, he calls us to be a, a, a people who are blessing our city. Making our city flourish. Making this state flourish. Making the country flourish. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's not about us getting, 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 gaining, 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 climbing, 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 grabbing, grabbing, grabbing. No. God is saying, listen, I, if I am the Lord your God, I will take care of you, but I want you to trust me. And these are ways that you can trust me. Trust me with your time. Trust me with your finances. Trust me with your relationships. Trust me with every deep and meaningful aspect of your life. And watch what I will do when you put your trust in me. Amen. Jesus comes along a thousand years later and he says the same thing. I'm going to close in just a minute. Matthew 6. Do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Like, are we going to have enough? Are we going to be able to put our kids into the right school? Are we going to be able to get into the right neighborhood? Are we going to, right? How, or what? He's not saying that's not important. He says, don't worry about that. Why? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. He's not saying you don't need them. He's saying, I know you need them. But don't worry about them. How do I not worry about them? Next verse. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things, everything that you need will be added unto you. Why? Because I'm your father. I am the Lord your God. I got you. I got you. Stop trying to pull it all in. I got you. Right? This is what a father does. Father creates the margin. You know? The child doesn't have... The, my children's money comes from me. 
<laughs> it comes from me. So I know what they need. They don't have to worry about whether they're going to have clothes or whether they're going to have food. They don't have to look at their, they, they all have a bank account, all of them. Even my five-year-old, Bank of America. It's not a huge account, but it's, you know, she doesn't have to, Eden doesn't have to look at her account and go, am I going to make it, right? Am I going to be able to pay the bills this month, right? No. Why? Because I know what she needs. God says, look, I know what you need, and I'm going to make sure you have what you need. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. So... God, when God calls us to time, to give a portion of our time or give a portion of our finances or give a portion of ourselves, it actually calls for all of ourselves, our entire self. He does that not because he needs us. He doesn't need us. God does not need us. God owns everything. God made us, right? He does it because he wants to create a life where we have a healthy relationship with time and with money and with other people and with him. That's why he does it. Because he says, I want you to understand that I've got you. I want you to trust me. I want you to put your trust in me. A few, uh, two weeks ago, um, a number of, of folks in our church um, made their commitment. They made their, they did it in, in the advanced commitment service. They made their commitment to say, look, I'm going to trust the Lord, and I am going to participate in what he's doing, and I am going to help fund the work of the ministry through One Family Church because I believe in the mission, right? If you don't believe in the mission, do not fund the mission. If you believe in the mission, then participate in it. But they said, here's what we're going to do, and they, they started to make their commitments, and what we saw is extraordinary. We are seeing people that gave nothing before, that have made a commitment through God, through prayer, because God, they prayed to God and decided, I want to be a part of this. We're, we're seeing people whose giving is doubling and tripling and quadrupling. We're seeing some people who just are giving for the first time. They just, the, the, their mind is opening up for the first time to this idea of what it means to be generous. So what I want to do is just, this is a short video, but I want you to hear from them about what this initiative means to them. Let's play that. For me, it's, it's, it's meant home. It feels like an actual family. We are all brothers and sisters. Everybody just together as a loving community. When we moved back to St. Louis, we were looking for people, just any people, and walking into one family immediately, we knew we were home. The mission really comes to life. Like the minute I walked into the church, after trying so many churches. The very first time uh, we came in, I was just like, wow, this actually feels like a family. And like, you feel free to just be who you are. And then Pastor Brent and his wife, like they're so like welcoming. He addresses issues that all pastors should address. The commitment to diversity and to just welcoming all peoples together and making one family out of them. I was impressed with the different languages that people speak at this church. And it don't matter where you come from, if you have money, if you don't, we all are God's children. There's something for everyone. It's been a, a great place for my children. Going to small groups, getting involved in volunteering with our gifts. To be able to serve and be able to feel useful in the kingdom of God. One family is showing me that yes, it's gonna be messy, 
and it's going to be hard, but it's still serving a positive purpose to commit to something bigger than myself and believing and going after and striving for love. The Beyond Initiative has really been teaching me what tithing means. This is more intentional for us. It's uh, a move for me to be more generous. Living a life uh, beyond the modernity of our normal existence and living by faith, not by fear. We always give because it, it's just part of who we are. Can we do But more? can we do more? And how do we do more? For me, the Beyond Initiative is allowing myself to be planted um, to allow my seed to break open to be able to grow. We can be a part of something greater by giving and sowing into it. We are continuing to look to support St. Louis and revitalize St. Louis at the heart and at its core. When you have this investment and you get to see it grow. Just to understand some of what it means to store up treasures in heaven instead of on earth. What we do with what God has entrusted to us um, can become a blessing to other people, not just right now, but perhaps for generations to come. This is God's church, and it'll be here after I'm dead and gone, so we gotta do God's work while we're here. I just wanna see the goodness that God has planned for, um, for this church in University City. Amen. Amen. I love, I, love how, I love how our church preaches the gospel far better than I could get up here and preach it. I mean, th this, is the, the, this is what Jesus meant when he said, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. He says, you know, your lives, your lives are the testimony. Your lives are the example. Your lives are doing the work of the gospel. You are demonstrating through your love for one another and for God and the way that you serve in this community and beyond, you are demonstrating what the gospel truly is. And so I just wanna say thank you to all of you um, who are a part of One Family Church online at the Shaw campus and here at University City. Um, I wanna take a moment and have you uh, take out your commitment card if you are prepared to be a part of, of this. Um, the, you may need pins if anybody needs a pin, but we're gonna take a moment and what I, what I want you to do is open the card to the back flap if you're ready to make your commitment today. Um, I'll tell you what, guys, with the pins, would you mind to come to the front? Uh, come to the front and then turn around and if, it, if anybody needs a pin, you'll just raise your hand, okay? Um, the way you fill this out is... Uh, the very first blank, you write in here what you normally give in a year to, to uh, one family church or to the church. Write that number down. And if it's zero, write zero. Don't be ashamed of what you do or do not normally give. This is a moment for you to make um, a commitment and consecrate yourself to this. Um, and then whatever that is, you multiply that times two years because of the two-year initiative. So um, put that in the second blank. Then the blank below that, um, you write down the amount that you, after prayer, are committed to giving annually for the next two years. So write that number. That's the amount above what you normally give, okay? Then multiply that by two, and then that puts you um, on that second blank. Right there, you put that amount. Then the bottom part is if there's something else that you have stored up that you are 
wanting to or you feel led to give to advance uh, what God is doing here through One Family Church, like um, you, you know, you've got that cryptocurrency account that didn't quite make you a million dollars like they said it would and you're not quite sure what to do with it. Um, you have a, um, an extra minivan parked in your garage that you just, you think you could get 500 bucks for it or whatever. Stocks, bonds, real estate, whatever. Whatever that is, put that in here, that, the amount of that in there and then add those together, that's your total amount. And the reason we're asking people to do this is for two reasons. Number one, it's good for you. It was good. Rebecca and I did ours at the advanced commitment night. We sat down. We had talked about it. We had prayed about it. But we sat down and we did it. We made our commitment at that event. It's good for you to say, I'm putting my flag in the, in the, in the ground right here. I'm putting my stake in the ground. I'm making this commitment. And then it's good for the church from an operational standpoint because then we can budget appropriately and know how much to spend on what and different ministries and, and on facilities and all the kinds of things that we're, we're going to be using the money for. Um, so I'm going to just invite you, if you're online, you can actually do this at onefamilychurch.com slash beyond. There's a, a digital version of this on onefamilychurch.com slash beyond that you can fill this out. So let's just take a moment now. Let this be a spiritual moment for you. If, if, let this be a real moment for you where God works in your heart and life and says, here's what I want you to do. Ask him. God, what do you want me to do? I'm going to put a a timer on and we're going to take just a few minutes and we're all going to fill this out together. So let's just take a moment and, and do this together.
Amen. Amen, everybody. Wow. Um, I would invite, yes, our, our greeters to come forward. They're going to pass these baskets uh, around. Um, you can just put your commitment card in the basket, um, and then they, are, they will be kept confidential, and our finance team will, um, will get all of that information uh, um, inputted and, and ready to go. I, I just want to say, you guys, this journey has been an extraordinary journey for me. It has been a stretching journey for me. As you know, if, if you've been here for any length of time, in 10 years of One Family Church, we've never done a, any kind of generosity initiative or giving drive or anything like that. That's not, that's not, my, normal, um, that's just not my normal flow. Um, but I, I, I'm so grateful to be a part of this. I'm so grateful that over the last several weeks and months, so many of you have come together and said, we believe in what God is doing here. We want to be a part of it. And we are putting our hope and our trust in God as we partner with him, as we participate with him in what he is doing here at One Family Church and beyond. He's promised us once again that he is able to do above and beyond all that any of us could ever ask or imagine according to the power that works in us, the power of the Spirit that works in us, not to our glory, but to the glory of Christ Jesus and to the church for all generations, forever and ever and ever. Amen. Let me pray for us as we, uh, as we get prepared to worship one last time and as you're putting the last, um, the, the last cards in the baskets. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. You are a good God. Thank you for drawing us into deeper waters. Thank you for calling upon us to love you and serve you and partner with you in ways that actually are extremely um, sensitive, personal, and meaningful to us. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to open our hearts and surrender to you and to release a portion of what you have given us back to you um, that we can do your work here. Thank you, Lord, for for providing the Shaw campus to One Family Church. Thank you for providing that building to us so that our people in Shaw can gather together and worship. Thank you for providing this Tivoli Theater to One Family Church. We, we, you keep doing above and beyond all that we could ever ask or imagine. Thank you for for putting something together that would have been so far beyond our comprehension that we still are awed and humbled by what you are doing in us and through us. And thank you, God, for every single person here today. Thank you for those that are prepared and ready to participate and are making a commitment today. And thank you for those who are still kind of holding back and trying to understand what this is all about. We're grateful, God, to be able to be together as a family, wherever we are on our spiritual journey. Grateful to be together as a family, pursuing you, honoring you, loving you. Not out of any sense of compulsion or manipulation, but out of the desire in our heart to be a part of what you want us to do. And we thank you, we love you, and we praise you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Would you stand with us now and we're going to close this service with an awesome song of worship so open your hearts open your mouths let us sing together